Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Poised for Powell, investors looking for rate cut hints as the Fed chair testifies on Capitol Hill. Stepping down, the UK ambassador who called President Trump inept has resigned. And the victory parade, the US women's football team celebrated here in New York City. It's Wednesday, let's make a move. Once again, to first move, a shortened version of the show today, though, but for great reasons. The U.S. Women's World Cup team are here in New York for a ticker tape extravaganza. That's going to begin in around 30 minutes time and we will be taking you there live. But first, there is plenty to get through. So let's get to it. Fed Chair Jay Powell is making his first move to Capitol Hill for two days of testimony. The big question, of course, has been, will he indicate a rate cut is likely this month or tone down some of the, the investor optimism out there, patient Powell or dovish Powell? Well, I can tell you that in his opening address, he highlights both the unresolved trade tensions and worries about the global economic outlook. We'll break it all down for you shortly. But for now, that's the message. And it's been enough to turn the US stocks futures positive in the past half hour. Or so as you can see, the Nasdaq outperforming right now. Now, speaking of trade, we have also perhaps seen some positive signs on the trade front too. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and US Trade Representative Bob Light spoke to Chinese Vice Premier Liu He on the phone yesterday, building on last month's trade truce. We also got more detail on the government's plans to relax its ban on Huawei, allowing U.S. companies to apply for licenses to sell goods to the firm. So signs of greater diplomacy on a future trade deal, perhaps. And actually, diplomacy, or perhaps I should say the lack of it, is where we're going to kick off the drivers. The UK's ambassador to the United States has resigned. It follows leaked cables in which Sir Kim Dorok called the Trump administration both inept and clumsy. President Trump has said the White House would no longer deal with the ambassador, calling him, quote, a very stupid guy. British Prime Minister Theresa May has expressed her regret at his resignation. Good government depends on public servants being able to give full and frank advice. I want all our public servants to have the confidence to be able to do that. And I hope the House will reflect on the importance of defending our values and principles, particularly when they are under pressure. Max Foster joins us now from London. Max, great to have you with us. I find the whole situation pretty mind-boggling, quite frankly. But if we cut to the chase here, when a US president says he won't deal with you, when a future prime minister of the UK, as Boris Johnson has done, doesn't back you, then you kind of have to step down. That's the reality. I mean, we were surprised because everyone across the board in government had basically said that... Um, Kim Darrett was doing his job, offering frank assessments of the current administration, and all ambassadors all around the world do exactly that. So it was a bit of a surprise, but his family's been under some pressure, we understand, and this from a government official speaking to CNN. He uh, apparently made the decision to resign after seeing that Boris Johnson, who is the frontrunner to replace Theresa May as Prime Minister, refused to support him during Tuesday night's um, election or leadership debate on ITV. Uh, Jeremy Hunt, uh, the other contestant going out of his way to say that he would keep on Kim Darrick as ambassador if he uh, became prime minister. Uh, but of course, Boris is the front runner. So if you don't have the support of the incoming 
Prime Minister, and you're resigning at the end of the year anyway to retire. Uh, why stay on? Many people here feel, uh, Julia, he's simply done the honourable thing. Yeah, I mean, the situation here as well is, you know, where did this leak come from? There's been furious speculation over whether it was done for political reasons, ultimately. What does Theresa May do now to replace him? And what do we do about the relationship going forward? Because you kind of have to choose someone who's a Brexiteer here that is liked, it seems, by, by Donald Trump. Otherwise, you find yourself in a very difficult situation once again, like, like Kim Drock did here. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how Theresa May responds, because now that he's resigned, it's uh, the incumbent prime minister that decides who's going to um, replace him in Washington. Or does she allow um, uh, uh, Boris Johnson, if he becomes prime minister, uh, to make that decision? Uh, the tradition certainly is that civil servants take on that position in Washington, but it's not completely unprecedented for political appointments to be made there as well. That's happened in the past. Peter Jay, for example, in the past. So potentially, I mean, the wild speculation is that, you know, this was all about a way of getting Nigel Farage potentially in that position, which is something that Donald Trump may like. Uh, could that be a solution for Boris Johnson to get him out of British politics and over to Washington. We're talking about the realms of speculation now, but considering recent events, Julia, we're considering anything as we report this story. We don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, the belief was that Nigel Farage wanted it before the 2016 elections and was lobbying for it. Max, what do you think? What's the probability? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, it will be up to Boris Johnson if he becomes prime minister to decide. He could make that appointment if he wants. It wouldn't go down particularly well within the civil service, of course. And Boris Johnson needs the civil service uh, to support him in Downing Street. Um, I just don't know. <laughs> Who knows? What? <laughs> Boris Johnson isn't traditionally that consistent. So yeah. I just don't want to predict what yeah. he's going to do. I'm with you. I don't know is a very valid answer, <laughs> Max. Thank you so much for that. All right, let's move on to our next driver on Capitol Hill. Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell is due to testify before Congress in just under an hour's time. Claire Sebastian joins me now. Claire, as I mentioned earlier, the speculation was would he confirm the market pricing of a rate cut here or pair back? Well, he's pointing out the uncertainties in his statement, it seems. Yeah, absolutely, Julia. If he was going to try to recalibrate market expectations away from a rate cut in July, this was a really good opportunity to start doing that. But it doesn't look like he's going to. His prepared remarks, as you say, really emphasizing the ongoing uncertainties in the economy. I want to read you a, a section of what he's going to say uh, when he starts talking in about an hour's time. He's going to say uncertainties about the outlook have increased in recent months. In particular, and economic momentum appears to have slowed in some major foreign economies. And that weakness could affect the U.S. economy. He continues, moreover, a number of government policy issues have yet to be resolved, including trade developments, the federal debt ceiling and Brexit. So a lot of uncertainties he's pointing out there. He also says he's seen business investments slow, quote, notably. He continues to see persistently low inflation. And he used that new banner phrase that we've seen from the Fed recently, uh, that he will act as appropriate to sustain the expansion. Since he first used that phrase, Julia, at the beginning of June, we've seen the Dow rebound significantly. That was the clearest sign yet that the Markets had of a rate cut uh, in, in potentially in June. That didn't happen, but now uh, in July. So seeing that now for the third time in public, it does look like any data that we get between now and the next meeting will have to really knock it out the park uh, to avoid a rate cut at the end of July. Yeah, you make a great point. He's in a really tough position here. I mean, the president has said that the central bank is America's greatest problem. If they cut rates, they look like they've been influenced. If they don't cut rates, they risk a temper tantrum in the markets. Tough. 
It's a really tricky balancing act, Julia, and, and it's, it's, it is risky. You know, we've heard recently from some really high-profile figures. Stanley Fisher, the former vice chair of the Fed, said that the risk of the Fed cutting rates as much as the president wants might outweigh the short-term positive of doing that for the economy. So people are very worried about this. As for Powell himself, though, he has consistently denied that the Fed is susceptible to any what he calls short-term political pressures. He's declined to comment on any contacts between uh, himself and the White House. So, you know, we expect that this might come up in the Q&A on Capitol Hill today. Uh, but we do know that his relationship with, with the members of Congress is a lot more sympathetic than with the White House. So at least uh, the exchanges are not expected to be too acrimonious on this. Yes, <laughs> a welcome change. Claire Sebastian, thank you so much for that. All right, next driver, Levi Strauss reporting a 63% plunge in second quarter profits, missing expectations and sending shares down some 6% pre-market. Levi's blamed the drop on the cost of their recent IPO. Paula Monica joins me now. I mean, to be fair, Paul, $29 million is a pretty fair sum for a going public, quite frankly, but it's more complicated than that, isn't it? It's also about the outlook. Yeah, I agree. I think that investors are willing to forgive the one-time expenses tied to the IPO. The bigger issue, Julia, is that Levi Strauss is warning that sales growth in the second half of the year is going to slow a bit. Part of that is due to the uncertain outlook for many of their retail partners. You've had many store closures in American malls and retailers going bankrupt. And also, uh, I think there are uh, some uh, concerns as well about China growth. Obviously, uh, there's still some trade tension between the U.S. and China. China revenues are growing, but not as much, I think, as some investors would have hoped. And, uh, you know, I think this is an area where Levi Strauss needs to do a better job of really kind of pitching their genes as a quintessential American brand for a lot of aspirational Chinese consumers. Yeah, this is such a great point, Paul. I was looking at the numbers here. I mean, if you look at global apparel market, it's 20%. China is 20% of that market, but China's only 3% of, of Levi's revenue. So the opportunity for these guys, if they can get there, is, is pretty huge and they recognize that. But if I look more broadly on the international front here, the Americas, 3% growth, 9% growth in Europe, 6% in Asia, where we're talking revenues overall, you know, the international market looks pretty strong for these guys. Yeah, I think that a lot of people recognize that the growth opportunities for Levi Strauss lie abroad. It is Europe and it is Asia. The U.S. is a market that is slowing. It is maturing. And of course, why not? This is a 166-year-old company, so we're not talking about the most dynamic of uh, you know hot young growth companies here. But uh, remember, when Levi Strauss went public, the stock did extremely well in its first few months. So even with this pullback, it's still up pretty significantly from its IPO price of about $17. So Levi Strauss has done much better than Uber and Lyft, for example, which were the two most hyped IPOs of the year. Yeah, it's about, what is it, 33%. Trying to do the math there. That could be wrong. Don't trust me necessarily. <laughs> Paula Monica, thank you so much for that. More than 30% at least. I can do the maths. All right, let me bring you up to speed with some of the other stories that are making headlines around the world. A short time ago, the German Chancellor Angela Merkel was seen shaking at an event in Berlin. It's the third time in recent weeks. Mrs Merkel addressed the shaking, saying she is, quote, very well and one does not have to worry. It's the last time you want to see, oh, it's the last thing you want to see out of an aeroplane window, a metal nose cone loose inside the engine mid-flight. Wow. 
it happened. Delta Flight 1425 was forced to make an emergency landing in North Carolina on Monday. The plane did land safely and the airline said the engine has now been replaced. It's due to be back in service this morning. Mm. The U.S. national women's football team will be showered with ticker tape today to celebrate their record World Cup win. Team USA beat the Netherlands 2-0 in a thrilling match on Sunday. We'll bring you CNN's special coverage of the festivities here in New York City later this hour. Can't wait. Ahead of that, the team's co-captain Megan Rapinoe is a message for President Trump. Do better. She sat down with our Anderson Cooper Tuesday and discussed why she and her teammates are refusing to visit the White House. When asked what she would say to the president if he were watching, she urged him to be more inclusive. I think that I would say that your message is excluding people. Um, you're excluding me. You're excluding people that look like me. You're excluding people of color. You're excluding, you know, Americans that... Um, that maybe support you. Um, I think that we need to have um, a reckoning with um, the message that you have and what you're saying about make America great again. Um, I think that you're harking back to an era that was not great for everyone. All right, when we come back, Microsoft setting up shop in the UK. We'll have all the details. Stay with us. To first move where U.S. stock futures have turned positive ahead of Fed Chair Jay Powell's testimony on Capitol Hill today. In his prepared statement released within the past hour, Powell highlights the unresolved trade tensions and continued worries about the global economic outlook. His testimony before Congress begins at the top of this hour. Joining us now, Alan Ruskin is Chief International Strategist at Deutsche Bank, and he joins us from the New York Stock Exchange. Alan, always great to have you on the show. Obviously, we've only seen the initial statement and we've got a long time to come in terms of testimony. But is that your initial read, sort of confirmation of market pricing and a rate cut this month? Yes, I thought it was rather unambiguous. I think the market had started to think that the choice was going to be something between zero and 25 basis points rather than uh, 25 basis points cut versus 50 basis points. But I think after this particular testimony, I think there's a lot of confidence that it's going to be 25 basis points. It was pretty unambiguous. Do you think he uses the term insurance, the idea of an insurance rate cut, just to frame market thinking that perhaps this is a, a mini cycle cut rather than we're going into like a longer drawn out process of cutting rates here? Because you can sort of pep the economy up by one and ad hoc rate cuts here rather than going into a sort of full cycle of rate cuts. Yes, I think that's a critical question for the market. Clearly, the market's thinking more in terms of a cycle of rate cuts. Uh, he didn't give many clues on that. I didn't think he, you know, just reading the testimony, and I'd read it on the way uh, in to, to, you know, before this uh, hit, and what I saw was no use of the word insurance. So my read is, in general, he's quite happy with what the market's pricing in. The market's still pricing in, I think, roughly about an 80% probability of another cut in September. That strikes me as a little bit uh, on the rich side, a little bit aggressive from the market. But uh, the market, I think, uh, is not being phased really by anything that he has said and, and was looking for more of a cycle of rate cuts going forward. Alan, is it the right decision 
to be cutting rates based on the data. I mean, to your point, the, the payrolls, the jobs number on Friday added perhaps a bit more cautiousness into the thinking here. I mean, we have an incredibly strong jobs market and a consumer here in the United States. The offset, of course, to that is, is soft inflation here too. Yeah, it's not the most compelling uh, environment for a rate cut I've seen. In fact, probably one of the least compelling, uh, you know, particularly with uh, what we, you mentioned in terms of the payrolls numbers, what we've got in terms of financial markets as well. Um, that being said, I think the economy has slowed down. Uh, Powell did mention in particular the slowing that we're seeing in the investment side. Uh, there's lots of trade uncertainties. Uh, the good news is that the consumer still looks rather good. So um, that, I think, is uh, the tussle... That is the battle we're seeing at the moment between the investment side that's looking weak and the consumer that's looking solid. Let's see which one wins. You know, it's interesting. We had a conversation on First Move yesterday with Liz Young of BNY Mellon, and she said she doesn't think that they will cut rates in July. And I said, how are they going to signal that? How are they going to prevent some kind of tantrum in the market and a, and a sort of dramatic repricing, particularly in stocks here? Um, is there time for them to change their mind here, Alan, with the data that we get between now and the 31st of July? No, I think uh, uh, it would be very unwise were they to go down that path. We don't get uh, particularly uh, important data in terms of you know, a shuffling of expectations. The CPI data, the retail sales data, I don't think would be sufficient to change uh, the market's pricing. And it would be uh, very silly if the Fed tried to go down that path. It's interesting. It's not just about the, the Federal Reserve here and the prospect of them providing greater easing here. You've got a, a more dovish European central bank. Central banks the world over are all making more dovish noises here. Is that all investors need here, whether they're stock market investors or other assets, emerging market assets, to continue to see positive gains perhaps for the third quarter, if not the rest of the year? Um, I think it is still a constructive environment, mostly for risk. I think the U.S. market probably benefits more than most. But uh, the, the main reason for that, I think, is a lot of the other central banks, notably the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan, don't have the scope to ease that the Federal Reserve has. So I think the U.S. markets probably will benefit more than most. If I look at what's going on in the U.S. market, though, and I look at the larger cap stocks versus the smaller cap stocks just over the last year, the smaller cap stocks have dramatically underperformed. It's around 15 to 16 percentage points. What message are investors sending there about the domestic, more domestic focused stocks? And have they got it right? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's clearly a concentration of capital going into the larger stocks or the larger cap stocks. I think uh, we are probably seeing something in terms of the broader economy as a whole, whereby ADP, small business employment, for example, is uh, significantly weakened of late. So maybe there's something going on with regard to smaller businesses as well. Um, historically, when you see uh, the large caps uh, being uh, vastly outperforming, the small caps, that's not a great signal uh, from a leading indicator uh, standpoint. So it does tend to signal some slowing in the economy as well. Yeah, I just um, sensing signals. Alan Ruskin, Chief International Strategist at Deutsche Bank. So fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. All right, let me bring you up to speed with today's boardroom brief. Jay-Z is no longer just a businessman. He's now a canny businessman. 
you get it? I don't know whether I said that right. The billionaire rapper and producer is the new chief brand strategist for California-based Caliva. Jay-Z is the latest celebrity backer in an industry that's been riding high since cannabis was legalized in a number of U.S. states. Earlier this year, Caliva raised $75 million from investors, including former NFL star Joe Montana and former Yahoo CEO Carol Bartz. Netflix will be forced to make a business pivot as it faces another breakup. Let's be clear, it wasn't a break. Pivot! 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 Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Yeah, we've all been there. Sofa Doctor helps you just chop them up. CNN's parent company, Warner Media, announced it's pulling friends from Netflix to stream exclusively on its own new service, HBO Max, in 2020. It marks a third for Netflix. NBC announced it's bringing The Office back home in 2021. And, of course, Disney recently announced it's pulling its content back for its site, Disney+. Plus. So another blow. And it's a sad day for Beatles fans. No, not those Beatles. These ones, after seven decades of production, Volkswagen is retiring its most iconic car. The last VW Bugs will roll off an assembly line in Mexico today. The company will mark the occasion with a ceremony in the factory before sending the very last one to a museum. Microsoft's hard Brexit gamble. The tech giant launches a London flagship despite the looming uncertainty there. Anna Stewart has the details and has been talking to them. Anna, a welcome sign, I think, for the UK government here. And not only that, Brits as well. Talk us through it. It certainly is. The doors officially open to the public tomorrow, but I did get a sneak peek yesterday. And it is interesting. This is their very first and only European store. They have chosen London. That's despite this seemingly never-ending uncertainty around Brexit, the incredibly high risk of a no-deal Brexit, and the fact that consumer uh, sentiment here is at its lowest since the mid-1990s. So I spoke to the UK CEO and asked, is this a vote of confidence in a post-Brexit Britain? We've been here for nearly 40 years and we're very committed to being in the UK for another 40 years. And I think this is probably the most visible sign of our continuing investment in this market, in addition to all of our offices and employees and our startup reactor and our ventures arm and our research facilities in Cambridge. We've got many, many businesses in the UK and we're committed to being here, regardless of what happens on the political landscape. Committed to being here, but they are in discussions with the government. They say they have been since the referendum about what they want to see out of Brexit. The government is, of course, thrilled by this commitment, though. Now, actually, in the store itself, Julia, there was a real McLaren that had been turned into a uh, motorsport simulator. It has a gaming lounge. It has AR. It has VR. But you know what? The one thing that they no longer have... Huawei products. No Huawei laptops there. Now, we knew that they'd pulled them online and from U.S. stores already since the U.S. put uh, Huawei on a trade blacklist, but they're not in the U.K. store either. And I did speak to them and I asked, you know, is this a permanent move? Very tight-lipped. I think all they said was they are constantly evaluating the situation. Julia? It all sounds very exciting. I was just watching the pictures there and I just saw an Apple store pop up. Can we show that picture again? Anna, what's going on there? Well, you know what? This store is right on Oxford Circus and it is literally a stone's throw away from that iconic Apple store. It is so close and uh, it also bears a 
more than a passing resemblance, I'd say. It's bright, it's white, it has a feature staircase. It has what they call uh, answer desks, which are mightily like the Genius Bar. They also have a community theatre. Lots and lots of similarities to Apple. And off record, I do believe that they are looking forward to welcoming uh, customers from Apple, and they are very willing, they say, to put Windows onto any MacBooks, iPads, <laughs> and perhaps they'll sell an Xbox at the same time. <laughs> How exciting. Anna Stewart, great job. Thank you so much for that. All right. That just about wraps up the show. You have been watching First Move. I'm very excited. I'm British. I'm going to go and drink a, a cup of tea. I'm going to do that gesture because that actually made me laugh from the, uh, the World Cup winners, of course, Team USA. We're going to be covering their parade in just a few moments' time. So I will hand you off to that. We'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.